The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food in the body, more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, good morning. Thanks, Jonathan, for reading. Can't believe they gave you a round of applause for that, but did. Hey, my name's Drew. I'm one of the don't. Now we're going to have to talk after. Um, my name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a guest with us today, thank you so much for being here. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you so much for being here with us. It means a lot. Um, we'd love to get to know you more. Over the summer, what we've been doing is we've been walking through these parables, these stories of Jesus, essentially earthly stories that have a bigger heavenly kingdom meaning to them. 
And today we walk through this one. And as I was thinking about this passage, it kind of took me back in time a bit to when I was 17 and I was on the track team in high school. And one day, a regular practice after school, I'm running, I would do distance running and I stopped my run. But here's what happened. My heart did not stop. Um, And now that's good. As I say that, it's a good thing that my heart didn't stop. But uh, my heart was racing. It didn't slow down. And for the next 48 hours, it uh, stayed at right under about 200 beats a minute, just racing. I was scared to death. I was 17 years old. Um, And so I saw a cardiologist, and that's when we realized or figured out, or I was diagnosed with something called supraventricle tachycardia. Um, It is known as the beat that doesn't kill. So if you're going to have a weird thing, let it be the beat that doesn't kill. Am I right? Um, But essentially what happens is every once in a while, just in regular everyday activity, um, the regular rhythm, my heart will just speed up to about 200 beats a minute um, for a few seconds or maybe a minute, and then it'll slow back down like it's supposed to. But this has been incredibly distracting at times in my life, especially when I was in high school, especially that year. I would literally, I'm not kidding, I would walk around um, the halls of the school with my hand like this on my heart, and I was not doing the Pledge of Allegiance. I was not that patriotic. Um, And friends would say, what are you doing? Or knock that off, or you're going to be fine. But it was such a distraction. It was such a weight. And I was thinking about this passage today, and Jesus speaks into these areas of our life, no matter who you are, no matter where you are in this faith journey, if you're just investigating, you've been a Christian for years or decades, he speaks into the tensions of our hearts. He does. And he knows them all too well. That there are so many things that are vying for your heart, for your affections, for your desires, for your attention. And it's incredibly easy to become consumed in our hearts and develop really unhealthy rhythms that are far more distracting and dangerous than we realize. And today, Jesus shines a light on one of those major areas. Now, as he does through a lot of these parables, we're talking about wealth. And I think anytime this pops up, there can be a maybe a hesitation or we can put up sort of a a roadblock where we say, "Ah, I don't want to hear another message that has to do with money or wealth or all of that. Um, let's move on to something else. Well, Jesus doesn't move on from that a ton when he tells these stories because he knows what unchecked wealth can do. And at the same time, this is so for our good. What I think I want us to realize as we walk through this, no matter what age you are, and, and I really mean that, if you're in middle school, if you're in high school, if you're in elementary school, whatever age you are, if you can grab a hold of these key teachings and lessons from Jesus, they will benefit you in uh, immeasurable ways in your relationship with him, his relationship with you. And so I would caution us to press back, even though what he is going to say is incredibly countercultural. Know this. Much more than anything God wants to take from you, he actually wants to give something to you out of his love for you. So let me pray for us, and we're going to dive into our passage this morning. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this parable. I pray that we would receive it. Um, God, as you know our heart, I pray that we wouldn't dismiss it. I pray that we would be receptive to listen, um, that our hearts would be open to you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for actually coming down into our world, the world you created, to be a part of our lives. And thank you for the good news you give us. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. 
All right, let's start with verse 13. Jesus is uh, teaching. He's in his ministry. People are following him. They're curious. He's saying things that haven't been said. He's doing miracles. Um, And so there are large crowds that form. And it says, someone in this crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay. But Jesus' response to this man is he says, man, who, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Right? So a man asked Jesus to help with some family dispute over inheritance. And if uh, maybe some of you are familiar with this, it can get messy. This is something that wealth can do. It can pit brother against brother, sister against sister. And so why does Jesus respond the way that he does? Because back in those times, rabbis would regularly step into situations like this and they would help figure things out. Well, here's why Jesus responds this way, because he knows this man and he knows uh, that the issue he's having between him and his brother is much bigger than just money. It's a heart issue that goes much deeper. And verse 15 tells exactly what the issue is. And he said to him, to them, take care. Be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus knows the heart of this man just like he knows your heart. He literally does. Doesn't matter who you are, he knows you. The inner workings of your very being. And the issue here wasn't about fair disbursement of an inheritance. It's not about money. It wasn't a disagreement with the brother. The main issue here was greed. It's a word we really don't like to talk about. It's a thing that can pop up in our lives that we wrestle with a lot in seasons of our life. And we'd rather just kind of put it off in that little closet and lock it up and not look at it. Because if I actually had to look at it, then I might actually have to respond to it. And that might mean that I actually need to be generous in ways that I don't know if I feel comfortable being generous. I'm preaching to me as much as I'm talking with you this morning. This is a major issue that pops up. And greed, it actually starts this whole idea of accumulating more and more and giving away less and less that affects and actually hardens our heart in really dangerous ways. It starts at a very young age. We're all prone to this. I see it in my four-year-old Silas. You have no idea how many times he has repeatedly told me he will not share his popsicles with me, no matter uh, how I ask, how kind I am. I'm being brutally honest. Hey, man, can I have one of those? No, these are mine. These are mine. I want it. These are mine. Give it to me. This starts at a very young age as we're broken, and it continues to build and build. And maybe as we get a little bit older, it starts to look different. It starts to look like bigger bank accounts. It starts to look like more possessions, more toys, fuller investment portfolios, newer homes. And whether you have a lot, you have a little, or you're somewhere in between, Everyone can be consumed with this desire to accumulate. This greed can be driven by various motives, but here's really probably the main three. Here they are. A desire for comfort and ease, a fear of not having enough, or jealousy and competitiveness, trying to measure up. So Jesus says, he says, be on guard, be watchful, keep alert on the greed in your hearts because you have it. So let's be honest about it. Real life, he says, is not found in the accumulation of things. And as Jesus does, he takes this opportunity as a teachable moment and he shares this parable. And he told in this parable saying, the land of the rich man produced plentifully. And so he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. 
I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now notice how many times this man uses the word I or my. It tells us exactly what he's thinking about. (laughs) He's not thinking about others. He's definitely not thinking about God. He's not thinking about uh, the brevity of his life. He's not thinking about using some of these goods to bless the others in his city, his family, anything like that. Here's what he's focused on, and it is so easy, unintentionally easy for us to fall into the same track, trap of distracted consumption. He's thinking of two things, his comfort and his security. And that's becoming the thing. And it's his driving motivation and consuming and maintaining. It's what his life becomes about, what that can get him, what that can do for him, building up his own mini earthly kingdom. And God says, yeah, you're missing it. God says to him, fool, strong language, this night your soul is required of you. Now, this is just a story. It's a parable, but he's trying to make a point here, a deeper point. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, I could quote the very well-known, famous theologian, uh, the notorious B.I.G., the rapper. He says, uh, mo money, mo problems. But here's the deal. The problem that this man had is not in being wealthy. That's not it. There's nothing wrong with wealth in and of itself, but wealth can lead to very dangerous places if unchecked. Wealth can destroy families. Wealth can tear apart marriages. Wealth can put, like I said, brother against brother, sister against sister. It can do very dangerous things and it can completely consume our hearts. But this wasn't the issue Here's his error. It's not in the the fact that his fields prosper. It's what he did with it. It's that he ended up placing his hope and security reflected in a lack of generosity, humility, and worship in it. Uh, Theologian Daryl Bach says he morally mismanaged his wealth, giving no thought to the needs of others or thanking God. Now let's bring culture into this for a minute, because if you didn't know, you live in culture. And I live in culture, and we engage with culture. Here's the deal. The world around, they would praise this man. They would put this man on a pedestal. They would say, this is what success in life looks like. He's nailing it. Just be like him. And be cutthroat. Man, put everything away because you don't know what's going to happen. And store it up and build bigger barns. Like, this is what you want. This is what you want to be. And yet Jesus brings something incredibly different and God actually calls him a fool and says that your very life is going to be taken away because in God's economy, God's economy is incredibly countercultural. In God's economy, relationships are actually far more valuable than any bank account or any item you can acquire. His relationship with you, your relationship with him, and our relationship with one another. My really good friend and pastor who I did ministry with for years would always say this and he would live by it. He would say, all my wealth is in my relationships and that's how I want to live. So to summarize this little parable here, Jesus is saying, hey, here, and he's saying this to us. So let's all just listen. 
Be careful not to build a life that is based on the quantity of your possessions. Because when our lives become consumed, and here's the deal, again, I'm talking to high school students in here, I'm talking to college students in here, I'm talking to everybody in here because there is such a temptation to say, you know what, life's gonna be great if I can just land that job, that career, get that money, build that bank account, build that home, that's what it is. And then you end up realizing you still have kind of an empty heart. And Jesus is saying it's so much more than that. Because when our lives become consumed with accumulation, there is little room for anything else, let alone God. And the cost is immeasurable. Here's what greed can do. It blinds us. It blinds us from the purpose that God sets before us because he loves us. So Jesus, he's now finished with this lesson to the huge crowd and he kind of turns to his disciples and he has a private conversation. And here's what he says. He continues on the topic, but he speaks really in different language. Now you have the loving brother coming alongside the disciples talking about this caring, generous father who offers them something far better than what the world around them will attempt to inundate them with. So the topic actually switches from greed to anxiety, but these two being directly connected. As Arnold Arndt, sorry, William Arndt, that'd be interesting if his name was Arnold Arndt, um, Greed can never get enough. Worry is afraid it may not have enough. There's no contentment in greed. There's no peace in worry. Now, I want to make something abundantly clear as we're going to talk a little bit about anxiety and worry and what we're not going to talk about, what this doesn't mean. We are not talking about anxiety disorders. I just want to be clear with that. I don't want you to think that if you struggle with chronic anxiety that pops up, that you really don't have control over, you're not even sure why you're scared, why you're fearful. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not saying, hey, if you just had a little bit more faith, this would go away. That's nonsense. That's not what we're talking about. If you see a therapist, you take medication for that. What we are talking about is anxiety and worry directly related to this idea of our needs and our wants that can consume our mind in our hearts. And so Jesus, he says to his disciples, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Now, Jesus says, don't be anxious about food and clothing. He doesn't say that these things don't matter or that you shouldn't work and you shouldn't buy the things you need. This doesn't mean that you should be reckless. This doesn't mean that uh, having savings is bad, that using wisdom is bad. That's not what he's getting at. His point is, hey, don't be consumed by this. Don't be anxious about this. Don't let this take up all your mental space every day to where this is all you were thinking about and you push out everything and everyone else. Many of us uh, have more than just the basics and yet we still get worried about having enough. I do this all the time. This is a part of my everyday life, I feel like. Enough to pay the bills, enough to pay for college, enough to pay for that next car. What if the car breaks down? Enough to pay for medical expenses. Do I have enough retirement? What is retirement? Do I need retirement? All of these things. We tend to worry about a lot of different things. And this big question that has to pop up that we have to answer is why? Why do we worry about our needs? Why? Every form of worry and anxiety revolve around two things. Uncertainty and control. Uncertainty and control. We are uncertain about the future. That's actually not a horrible thing. 
because it means we actually get to lean into faith. But we're uncertain about our future, and so we are driven to try to take control as tightly as we can. Because central to worry is this illusion that we actually have control, and we can control things. And so most of the time, not always, but most of the time, when we're anxious, it's because we want to control something, and we become consumed with trying to gain control or realizing that we don't have control. But God in his love, hear this, God in his love, just take a breath, wants to come underneath these worries and assure us of a few things. So no matter who you are, no matter what you have or you don't have, no matter what your mind and your heart might be consumed with, this is an opportunity to rest. Not to rest on just some fictitious uh, lines in a book, to rest on the promises of God, the one who created you, knows you, and knows exactly what you need and is not walking out, not turning his back, not just leaving you out in the cold. So here's what he wants to assure you of. I love these verses. Jesus uses nature, which is pretty awesome. He says, consider the ravens. Hey, look around. We're outside right now. Check out those birds. They neither sow nor reap, yet they have neither storehouses nor barn, and God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you're not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive today, in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Here's the deal. Where greed can blind us, anxiety can disengage us. It can pull us from relationships. I cannot tell you how many times, because it happens regularly, where I am physically present somewhere, but I'm emotionally checked out because I'm stressed out, worried, consumed by something happening that I want to control. And so Jesus gives us three things to consider. First, here it is. Here's the three things. Birds, clocks, and flowers. Sound good? Taylor said earlier, this sounds like a Coldplay song, and it, it really does. Here, but here's the first one. Birds. Literally, birds. Birds have nothing to offer God, and he still cares for them. He says they don't have bank accounts, they don't have food pantries, and he still meets their needs. What's Jesus' point here? You hear it. I know it's going to sound ridiculous. You are so much more valuable than birds. Right? This sounds simple. It sounds too simple. But its simplicity is its beauty. Jesus actually wants you to stop and think about this, to consider it, and to come to the same conclusion he does. You are infinitely more valuable to God than a bird. Because you have been made in the image of God. There is a glimpse of God within you. God did not send Jesus to die for the souls of birds. He sent Jesus to die for you. He wants you to think about this. He wants you to realize this. Secondly, he says, hey, and here's the deal. By being consumed and worried about your needs being met and, and all these things and having enough, you can't add any, any time to your life. It's like, oh gosh, yeah, I guess that's true. He's like, you can't do it. So why don't you hand that to me? <laughs> why don't you give me this and I'll take care of that? Because I, I know all about you. 
I know how long you're going to live. I know your days. So just trust me with this. And then thirdly, imagine this scene. And imagine, I imagine literally as Jesus says, look at those birds. He looks out. Maybe there's a field of flowers that he's looking at where he says this. God spreads beautiful flowers all over the field, making them more beautiful than King Solomon was. Now, if you don't know about King Solomon, he was one of the richest kings and richest men that ever lived. But Jesus is saying, but the beauty of his clothes and his palace are nothing compared to how God clothes a field with flowers. And it's so if God clothes a field so beautifully, and think about the intricacies of flowers. Think about, think about how beautiful they really are if you stop and you take a look and you see how they're put together and, and, and how amazing that is, that that you are so much more valuable than that, that God knows you, he puts you together, he knows your heart, he knows your wrestlings, he knows all of these things, he put the very breath in your lungs. If God clothes the field so beautifully, won't he clothe you so much more? And not just here on earth, but with eternal clothing that he has you. Now Jesus wraps this section by tying this to faith. I think it's so important that we see this. This is where there's little tension. In my anxiety surrounding what I need, when that comes in, when that consumes, I am actually saying, God, I don't know that I can really trust you here. That's it. I don't know that you're really going to meet this need if you're going to follow through. Now, I trust you with my salvation, what Jesus did. But when it comes to this thing tomorrow, I'm not sure. Maybe I need to step in. Maybe I need to make sure it happens. Maybe I need to have a tighter grip. I'm not sure that I can fully trust you with this. And so Jesus is gently and firmly calling us to literally use our minds and our hearts to consider the ravens, to consider the flowers in the fields, to consider that we can't add more time to our life. And what he's essentially saying is, hey, you can trust your heavenly father, that he loves you, he cares about you, and he is not asleep at the wheel of your life. And so Jesus continues, and he says, hey, don't seek after what you eat or what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows what knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. There's this big lie that popped up at the very beginning with that man. We see a man losing his grip on his portion of the inheritance, and this inheritance is deceiving this man. This is why Jesus refers to in Matthew 13 the deceitfulness of riches. This inheritance was lying to this man. This is why wealth can be dangerous, tries to deceive us. What was it saying? It was saying, hey, if you lose me, you're going to lose a very large portion of your life. If you lose me, you'll lose what I can do for you. I am your life. Do you realize how big I am? Do you realize I offer you real life if you have me? That's what the inheritance was saying. But what God is saying is one of the most important things that come out of Jesus' mouth. Your father knows what you need. We've got you covered. (laughs) Now go after things that truly matter. 
Instead of being crushed under the weight of greed and consumed by it, instead of being crushed under the weight of anxiety attached to it and this lie that we are what we have, here's what you should seek. He says, God's kingdom. To actively and aggressively, wholeheartedly seek the things that matter to God, God himself, our king. To seek after loving him, to seek after pointing others to Jesus, to seek after knowing him, to storing up these eternal treasures, to seek to help other people who suffer and are in need, to seek being generous, to seek being loving, to seek being caring to seek being a reflection of Jesus in the community around us and not consumed with what culture would tell us we need to be consumed by, to not buy into the lie, but to trust in the Father who says, I have you covered. Yeah, but I want to leave an inheritance for my kids. Is that really a bad thing? Are you saying like that's that's a bad thing? No, not in and of itself, but here's what I would ask you. What else are you leaving them? This is for all of us that are parents. What else are you leaving your kids? Not just the money in the bank, not just the possessions, not just the homes, but are you leaving them with generosity? Are you leaving them with humility? Are you leaving them with an inheritance of what it looks like to love others, to love God, to love his church, to be sacrificial? Because these things are far more valuable than any amount in a bank account. They're priceless to pass those on to the generation to come. Jesus wraps up such gentle language here. He says, hey, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions, give it to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. At the beginning of this, uh, at the start, the man was in a crowd. He was worried about his inheritance. And here Jesus is introducing a better inheritance a lasting inheritance that every child of God, no matter who you are, where you came from, what you have or don't have, you can't earn it, you aren't owed it, and yet just because you're a part of the family, you have it, and it's fully assured. It's what Romans eight seventeen says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs, meaning we get the full inheritance, not part of it. We get what Jesus gets now because we are adopted into this family. There's no distinction. And so together with Christ, we are heirs of his glory, that it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to enact the kingdom, to welcome you in. How? Jesus. While the world is focused on greed, God shows the greatest sign of generosity by giving Jesus to us. While the world is seeking to consume, Jesus is sacrificially laying down his life, taking all of our greed, all of our burden, all of our pain, all of our sin, all of our anxieties onto the cross, putting them to death so that we could have life, so that we could rest in this hope, not this hope. An eternal hope to come, not solely focused on this earthly time that we have. This opportunity now to take part in kingdom building, not our own kingdom, but a kingdom that can't be shaken because it's based on the very life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. To have new eyes, new hearts, new worldview, new mind that would lead us in generosity and sacrifice to reflect the one who actually made it possible through his life, death, and resurrection. That's what Jesus is offering us. And it's hard. (laughs) And we wrestle with it. And we will. But he wants to unburden us. And he wants to assure us that God is just that good, that his love is just that big. And so here are the promises that when we let go of those tight fists and we let go of wealth being the end all be all and we're open-handed and we focus on building the kingdom, here's what we see promised to us. And it's been in this passage all along. Verse 31, God, our father will provide all of our needs. Why? Verse 30, because as our perfect father, he knows all of our needs. Verse 24, he cares for us and considers us very valuable. 
and 32. It's his good pleasure to give us what we need for both eternal and earthly purposes. It's only this understanding, this vision of our heavenly father is an all caring father who provides for his kids combined with this promise of lasting, not fleeting, eternal riches that can motivate us at a heart level to live free from the love of things and the accumulation of things and find lasting joy in following Christ. Here's the big idea of this whole passage as we wrap. Where greed can blind us and anxiety can disengage us, Christ wants to free us. Every single one of us. It's not about what you have or you don't have. He offers this freedom. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What he wants is your heart. He cares about your heart. He wants this relationship with you because he knows the propensity of our heart to go in many different directions and serve other gods that will make big promises but can't follow through. He doesn't want your wealth, he wants your heart. And so what do we do with this? Here's what I would encourage us to do, to reflect. I'm gonna ask a couple questions. Think about these, not just today, but this week. These are good for us to think about. What is my mindset and heart set when it comes to earthly wealth, money and possessions? Do I see it as a gift from God? Or do I see it as something I'm entitled to and owed? Does this consume my mind? Is this a primary motivation of my heart? Where has appropriate care become anxious concern in this area that is starting to take up a lot of bandwidth? Am I generous with what I have, no matter how much or little that is? Or am I overly protective? Where am I trusting in what I have or want more than God himself? These are good things to think about. And then to confess, this is what we're invited into, to literally be honest and then lay these things down, this opportunity to rest in his goodness, to take the first step toward the freedom that God wants you to have, to realign your heart, to start consuming and investing in what truly matters, to be kingdom-minded, and that starts and it finishes in relationships. I can't imagine what our neighborhoods, our work, our schools would look like if we became saturated with these amazingly generous kingdom-minded hearts. And so would we take that first step in honesty, in confession, knowing that God can handle it and he's good to meet us right there. Where greed can blind us, anxiety disengage us, Christ wants to free us. And thank goodness he loves us that much that he gives us this truth. Jesus, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your love for your church. Thank you for meeting us where we are. Uh, for anyone that might not know you today, not have a relationship with you, just be curious. Um, God, would they see on full display a generous father and a loving brother that gave what was most valuable, Jesus' very life, to give us the greatest inheritance we could possibly have, one that cannot be shaken, one that's eternal, one that's lasting. And would they give you their sin? Would they give you anxiety, stress, greed, all of it? And would you give them this new life? Would they confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in their heart? And would you save Jesus, for your church, for all of us, I pray that you would 
Open up our hearts to wrestle with these things, to be challenged and not push away, but to be receptive and to know that you want good for us, that we would be a kingdom-minded people, not a wealth-driven people. And God, as you bless us with things and with whatever that looks like, whatever wealth looks like monetarily and possessions, all those things would be so generous because of how you've been so generous to us. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us and your grace and kindness. We pray this in your name. Amen.